Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 14th, 2010. Now, newcomers, I always suggest you look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, and you'll find hundreds of talks to choose from where I try to give you shortcuts as best as I can to giving you the big picture of what, where the world is right now, where it's going to, how we got to where we are right now, and the various organizations that are behind it, because these organizations really act as one. They're all interconnected, and they had a global agenda for a really a, an authoritarian-type society. They decided long ago at the birth of democracy that they would never give the public democracy, and so they formed a parallel government with foundations, non-governmental organizations, incredible funding, and, of course, an ownership of the, what we call the free press. So that was done a long time ago, and we've been conned and fooled down through the generations into a new socialist-type world order for the general public with an elite at the top who imagine themselves going on on into some utopia for the future as we die off gradually uh, with diseases and no doubt brought on by the the chemical spraying that the GMO food we're eating and um, the injections we're getting as well, which have all been pretty well documented by pretty good sources. And never mind the fact that I can remember when people were not dying left and right of cancers at all ages, whereas today they are, and it's taken as quite normal now. Everything becomes normal. We adapt even to that so casually. It's, it's amazing to me. So go and help yourself, and while you're at it, remember, you can get uh, print-ups as well as the audios, of transcripts from any of the sites in English, and if you want them in other languages uh, for prints up, you can go into alanwattsentinel.eu and take your choice from a whole bunch that's that's there. And also remember, you're the listeners that bring me to you. I don't um, ask for money from advertisers like all the other hosts do. I don't go on shows even uh, as guests with uh, with an agent, and I don't think you realize that even on Patriot Radio, a lot of them go on as guests through agencies, uh, they're managers and agents just like any entertainer, and they take money for it. I could do that, but I decided to go against it, and so I go on for free. So I, I try my best, as I say, to give out the information right now while we have a chance to. Eventually we won't have any more chances to speak the truth, and even when you do speak the truth, there's a barrage uh, always coming out from, I call it the counterintelligence side, uh, to com- make, make it very, uh, they obfuscate the truth, they make it very confusing and have you off in a thousand directions. That's what's called true information warfare. And um, there's not much we can do about it because big money always decides in the end uh, how much of a voice you have in this world. So all we can do is use the time we have on the Internet to do the things that we do. And you've got to support me by, by, by doing so because I don't get paid by advertisers. 
Um, the ad you hear in the short paid by the advertisers directly to RBN, which pays for this airtime. That pays for the staff and equipments and their bills. So you can help me with mine by buying the books I've got for sale, the discs and so on, or donating. Now remember, you can purchase from the U.S. to Canada. Go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You'll see um, the order um, list. Uh, you can pay by personal check to Canada from the U.S., international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. You can use PayPal to order or donate. Just send a separate email with name, address, and order after you send the donation. Um, same across the rest of the world uh, with addition of Western Union and MoneyGram. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And in a matrix it truly is. It's it's the whole system in which you're born into. It's all reality that's given to you. It's even the explanation of the reality that's given to you. It's all part of the matrix. Because you're born into a complete socially indoctrinated or engineered system which included social indoctrination at school uh, in a scientific manner according to those who helped design the system. And the whole idea was that you'd never really figure your way out of it. And, of course, your parents didn't know either. They took everything for granted when they were born. Things are just the way it is. And they had no really real interest in knowing what was really going on in the big world events, including what was happening with international treaties being signed with their own countries. They didn't even know, for instance, for years, they were being amalgamated into and underneath a, a European parliament and that their countries would become provinces under that parliament. And that's all been done. The same thing, of course, is still going on with the Americas, for uniting the Americas. It's been going on for, for many years. In fact, the first building, I think, was set up in 1910 or 1912, for, for the, uh, called the Building of the Americas. And the big foundations, even at that time, were pushing to, for amalgamation with Mexico for the U.S. and Canada eventually down the road. Yet this is how far back the big organizations set up their world agenda. And we were living through it. Now part of that agenda was that everything would go international and the richer countries would pay for the poorer countries to come up to a certain level of a standard of living. And that's still what we're doing today. And the Marxists called it the redistribution of wealth. Of course, uh, most folk in their countries thought, well, it's the wealthy who will have to pay for that. No, uh, you see, you're, they class you as wealthy, even if you're renting in the Western countries. You're going to get a job, but if you have a job, you're wealthy. And so that's where your tax money goes, is to be spread across the world. And it really doesn't end up helping the people at all. It ends up in big multinational or international corporations and sets up new buildings or factories really for them to own. That's how the system really has always worked. Uh, after World War II, they set up an overseas economic development corporation, parts of government, and under, under a, a section of the government. Canada has one as well. And generally, the left-wing politicians, when they, they step down from office, join that, and they get good positions in that, dealing with where the money goes to all these different countries. 
And most folk are oblivious that, they, that their country even has been doing that since the end of World War II. But now they're stepping it up and into the, the true Marxian program of, of uh, redistribution of wealth, as they call it, taking from those who are going under to give to those who are already under. And that means we'll all be equally under the world-dominant system once it's all finished. And that's where it's really going to go. Where it's really going to go. That's why they brought on the financial crash when they did. I mean, how can it be a crash when the same banks are still in existence and making fortunes today? Uh, after their massive gifts from the taxpayer for the supposed losses they incurred with their own follies. What an incredible system we live in. And again, we take it all for granted, just like we take 9-11 for granted as, as, as with the aftermath of martial law, basically, across the whole darn world because of two buildings. That's never been thought of in history before. We've had world wars before, and uh, uh, even Pearl Harbor uh, did not jolt the whole world uh, suddenly to uh, declare martial law across the, the whole planet. It didn't happen. But you see, it was planned to happen this time because they did say, after the scam of the Y2K, the year 2000 nonsense, they said that really the year, the century starts in 2001. And that's why you had it kicking off in 2001. That's why Arthur C. Clarke had his first novel, 2001. And 2010 really also uh, is supposed to be the last year that Canada, Mexico, the U.S. signed the final part of integration into law, where they, where they started implementing it all at once. Who knows? They've already done quite a lot already because the federal bureaucrats in Canada can already apply to federal positions and bureaucracies in the U.S. and vice versa. That came out in the papers a few years ago after they signed, the, I think, the second uh, signing of the their integration treaty. So that's the, the real world. And as I say, the banking crisis came on cue, and um, everything is going the way it's, it's planned to go. The IMF is stepping up to its proper place, as John Maynard Keynes said it w- would do, he said in his own lifetime it was only going part way, but eventually it would be set up basically to be the banker under the World Bank for the entire planet. And they would deal with every country's finances, including their bookkeeping, by the way. They already are trying to get into Europe because of the last crash and, and what they want, the rights under the European Parliament, under the, 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 the watchful eye of the IMF, or on behalf, I should really say, of the IMF, to go over each country's books for themselves and start doing the bookkeeping. So uh, it's another blow to any, any idea of national sovereignty. National sovereignty, they said, a hundred years ago would have to go to get this big, wonderful, utopian plan through. But, and, of course, all their utopias means a horror show for someone else. The Soviet Union was to be a utopia. And look at the slaughtering spree they went on, even starving millions of their own people to death near the, near the beginning of it. And the Ukrainians were starved to death. 30 million of them, millions of them. Never mind the ones they slaughtered too for having uh, different opinions than themselves. That's what you always find about the, the liberal mentality, where they always talk about caring for everyone. Unless you go along with their political correctness, they have no tolerance at all for any other opinion. None whatsoever. They are completely intolerant of anyone else's opinion. That's the reality of the world we live in. 
Now, the big multinational corporations have to take a big, big place in the world order, as we already know. IBM really leads the the whole lot off, and um, they have their annual meetings where where all big businesses come under uh, the auspices of the IBM, and anyone who's anyone attends these meetings, and the IBM basically gives them their marching orders as to where to go with their corporations and what to go into and all the rest of it. They're all on board, as they call it, together. They like the term on board because, you see, they're all really pirates in a sense. In more senses than I'm actually saying here. But anyway, Carl Quigley, Professor Carl Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the American arm of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, he did say that in this new world order they're bringing in, he said the CEOs of the corporations and international corporations uh, will be the new feudal overlords. It was a new feudal type system. Of, of those who are people and those who are not people, the non-beings down below. That's the system they are bringing into place. And again, it's based on eugenics and all the rest of it, so you can see why they bring this in. Those who are incredibly successful, therefore, are worth coming through with their offspring. Uh, those who have failed and fallen by the wayside just prove they've got junk genes and they can't get further ahead. That's, that's what really what they mean. And that's how they talk amongst each other about it, too. Here's an article here now, and it's from, it's from the Council on Foreign Relations own website. And it says here, um, October the 8th, For more than a decade, dozens of multinational corporations have been sued in federal courts in the U.S. for alleged human rights violations under the so-called Alien Tort Statute. Now these suits may be over. In August, a U.S. uh, appellate court ruled that corporations may not be held liable for violations of international law. The decisions by the New York-based Second Circuit Court of Appeals will be welcomed by multinationals as well as by many foreign governments who have protested that U.S. assertion of extraterritorial jurisdiction over non-U.S. activities of foreign corporations itself violates international law. Although the court's uh, decision is at present binding only in New York region, I'm not surprised actually, because that makes more sense in many different levels than you think. It says it may be the death knell for most human rights litigation against multinational companies in U.S. courts. The decision involved a suit by Nigerian nationals against Royal Dutch Petroleum and several Shell oil affiliates for allegedly encouraging torture, murders and rapes by Nigerian soldiers of Nigerian villagers opposed to the company's oil exploration activities. The three-panel judge ruled two to one that corporations, unlike individuals, may not be subject to criminal and civil liability for violations of international law. The, the dissenting judge complained that the majority decision deals a blow to the efforts of international law to protect human rights. So that's it. Human rights are tossed out the window, and you are going back under the feudal overlords, the new CEOs of the international corporations, exactly as Quigley said. How did he know? He was the historian for the group that was pushing it all. And where, and where is this article here from? The Council on Foreign Relations, and that's the group he was historian for, who want this international order, an authoritarian order, because they say people are just too stupid to manage their own lives properly. That's it.
Now, part of the whole deal, too, um, is to bring us all down to a real state of poverty. Uh, immigration doors will stay wide open as countries go down, as Britain has already gone down under immigration. It's surprising the country is still afloat, you might say. But um, it did come out that Blair, uh, the, the guy who worked with Blair, I think it was his vice uh, prime minister, assistant prime minister, whatever they call him there, he did say that he'd been getting orders, getting orders by Blair to open the floodgates to the most diverse populations in order to stamp out the culture of Britain forever. And I read that article from Mainstream News uh, a couple of months ago on the air here at RBN. And that's what's happened, you see. The people there are apathetic. They don't know what they are anymore. They've had 30 years of propaganda asking them, what does it mean to be British anyway? And I've seen the same technique used in Canada and elsewhere. And, um, and there's massive unemployment everywhere and welfare everywhere. In the 60s and 70s, the government then was building single-parent homes rather than building family homes because they decided then single parents would be mums in the future as they would help to, to destroy marriage altogether. They've done an awful good job at it. And, of course, they would fund the mums uh, to stay at home, and that was an encouragement to very young girls too to get a, a lifelong uh, pay po- uh, check coming in if they would have a child or two or three. And that did happen as well. It's all planned that way. All planned that way. Because, you see, the big boys said a hundred years ago or more they'd had to destroy the family unit. Because the family unit stood together, they'd fight together, they'd fight for each other. It was the last semblance of any clan or tribe. So it would have to be completely eliminated. But they also said, too, that they did not believe in people picking their own marriage partners. Because eugenics should rule. And the choices should be made by eugenics experts, those who practice genealogy, who would take your little blood test and your gene test and so on, and your family history and that of the proposed recipient of your sperm, and then they decide if your offspring would be worthy to come into the world. And that really is what socialism and Fabian socialism is based upon. If you don't believe me, read, see the Soviet story, you'll see an old clip of uh, George Bernard Shaw, preaching this socialist uh, belief where he talked about uh, how the poor would have to come to them and justify why they should be fed and kept alive. He also suggested, too, that the best scientists were brought together to make a a type of gas that would humanely kill all the poor unfortunates, uh, those who were not deemed worthy to breed. That's what true socialism is, and that's why the scientific elite love it. And the Darwinists love it. And the bankers love socialism because they don't have to go, look at the money they're raking in off countries. They get the governments now to fork over billions and billions and billions of dollars to them. Whereas before, they had to go around door to door, collecting money from credit cards from individuals. How much easier it is to have a government on your side who collects all the cash for you whenever you want it. That's called socialism. And if you wonder what the rise in taxes is all about, read Karl Marx and the planks of the Communist Manifesto. They've all been accomplished. It's all been done. 
and you're watching now as the housing market goes completely under, people can't get homes, and part of it was the abolition of private property. The family, private pure property, and so on. And then gradually increasing taxes and income taxes and more and more income taxes. And guess what? The U.S. has to be hammered in January with all the new taxes that are coming in. They won't know what's hit them. And Britain's already getting hammered with the taxes now. And the fuel going up for their heating fuel for the winter until they can hardly heat themselves. And unfortunately, they adapt and they put up with it because they're so confused and they still live in a world where they think it's all quite real. And these politicians are just dealing with crises as they pop along. They have no idea of any agenda. They're completely ignorant. They're kept in the dark. Many of them willfully so. They don't want to know. So all you can do on shows like this is to talk to those who are looking for the answers and at least fill them in as to how it got to where it is and where it's going to go. That's all you can do. And hope that some young ones come in now and then, and they do. That's the one thing I get at letters from young people who stop drugging themselves and stop banging their heads against the wall, stop drinking their, 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 their lives away because they were trying to shut off their brains, knowing there was just something wrong, and, and then blaming themselves that it must be them. Everybody else seemed quite happy, parting away. And what was wrong with them is they, they knew something was wrong. Once they get the trail of what's really wrong, they go at it with incredible energy for knowledge. And hopefully they'll be the ones down the road too who will take over this and prevent the next step and the next step and the next step in their lifetimes, as so many fail to do in this lifetime. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. We sat back and let it all be done to us. It was amazing, too. I watched in the, in the 60s and 70s, or the different in the 70s. I was very tiny in the 60s. But um, in the 70s, I, I saw them bringing in uh, the better pension checks at that time for pensioners and so on. The little things, the carrots they give you temporarily to bring in the socialist system and how people adapted to it. They'd never had it so good. That was the little slogan they had going amongst themselves. And they bought and had fun and, and got color televisions and started watching all these TV programs. Entertainment just, just took up the slack where before they used to, to sit and think and discuss things and talk to each other. They were entertained to death, literally to death, as they are today. And they gave up. And even then, when you talk to them in the 70s and 80s about what was happening, they would either deny it, or they would say, well, thank God I'll be dead before the worst of it kicks in. What a cop-out to leave it to the next generation to take the hammer. What a disgusting cop-out. But so many go that way. I've heard it even today from people. Oh, I'll be dead before the worst kicks in. And that, and that excuses them from not participating. So anyway, here's an article here from Britain after it's been put down as the worst place to live in the whole of Europe. It's high cost of living and it's a poor paying out to health care and so on and so on. Now they're heading them for, their, for the winter with their fuel poverty. It says it's national scandal. It says, with 4.5 million households unable to keep warm, concern is mounting that government cuts will leave more people out in the cold. Well, they know this every year they do this. 
fuel poverty figures, the number of UK households living in fuel poverty has gone up again because of rising energy prices. They do it every winter. I know they're putting energy surcharges on, and no doubt carbon taxes will be snuck in there too. A senior charity executive has described the increase in fuel poverty as a national scandal after official figures released today showed that the number of fuel poor families rose to 4.5 million in 2008, around one in six of all UK households. A fuel poor family is defined as one that has to spend more than 10% of its income on heating its home to a decent standard. According to the latest data on the Department of Energy and Climate Change, that's what Energy and climate change, they combined the two. This, this con, this con of climate change as we go into a cold spell. So it says here, um, an extra half a million households fell in the category from 2007 to 2008. This is around three quarters of homes in the UK were especially hard hit with fuel poverty and these homes rising to 3.75 million in 2008, up by 500,000 from the previous year. There's folk who just die in their homes over there. Generally, the, the, the older folk too. Now they're cutting back on pensions and a whole bunch of things. Because you see, as Mr. Rockefeller said, he says, well, you know, about the New World Order, he says, well, you know, he says, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And you see, that's what we are. We're, we're, we're all the fragments of the eggshells. All those who fail to make it and go under. That's all we are to them. There's got to be sacrifice to have their, their wonderful cause come through. They truly believe in that. They don't do the sacrificing, of course, but you all do. But there's always a sacrifice. That's traditional. Traditional. Now, part of the system too was to degrade the whole of society completely degrade society um, and all of its natural morality. The things, the common simple laws that kept society together, making it function. Everyone knew basic, the basic rules and laws. You didn't have massive police forces when I was growing up. And when they introduced the, the go-at-it type thing, go and have sex, 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 and they promoted it all from the BBC downwards because, you see, all cultural changes must come from the top down, not from the bottom up. And, of course, they threw the pill at them, they gave them the miniskirt, they gave them the, the drug cult era, all that kind of stuff, all manufactured with intelligence services working to bring it about. And I'll touch on that when I come back from these messages. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and just mentioning that um, that the idea of destruction of the family was a prime intent of uh, them as far back as the late 1800s. H.G. Wells wrote about introducing free love, going on the old Platonic idea. He loved Plato uh, from the book The Republic, where all women would be shared in common, meaning uh, if you're in a circle of friends, you might say, eventually, which one you've got your eye on will work her way eventually around to you, 
everyone would, would take their share. That was the way it would be. And there'd be no marriages as such and so on for the, for the, the it's, Plato called them at the bottom. Those kind of just normal, you know, little people at the bottom, not the, the, the elite type. And that has been done pretty well that in today's society. And again, they augmented it in the 60s and 70s. It really sped up in the 70s um, with the, the, the pill, massive promiscuity promoted everywhere. And, um, and then the schools got into that big time, as they were designed to do, by as a, giving sexual education, which was really sexual promotion. Everyone knows the consequences of what's happened today because Bertrand Russell helped to formulate that system with his experimental schools back in the 1920s. And he found that if he could get them to start uh, being hyperactive, hyperthinking, in fact, about sexual activity uh, at at school before there were puberty, then they would go into sexual indulgence very quickly and go from partner to partner. The idea being they would not mate with a partner for life. That was the idea, and that has been accomplished. Now, here is something else. Uh, teenagers are to be awarded a GCSE in sex. That's part of their, their education certificate in England. I guess that's the only thing they'll pass in now, you know, and other political correctness and so on. Teachers will learn how to use a condom and obtain the morning after pill as part of the first GCSE-style qualification in sex. And it says... Um, Pupils were able to gain the equivalent of a degrade under the new course which has been devised to raise awareness of issues surrounding relationships. What a joke, eh? Contraception and sexually transmitted diseases. The government-funded qualification is being offered to nine schools and colleges for the first time this term with plans to expand it across the country. They always do the little testing first. It says, last night the move sparked outrage amongst families, groups who claimed it legitimized sexual promiscuity and failed to make any reference to marriage. Well, that's the intent of it, for goodness sake. That's what it's all about. That's why they gave them this education in school. That's what John Dewey was all about. As I say, Lord Burton Russell was all about, saying it many, many years beforehand. And it says, um, but Suzanne, Suzanne Kent, research manager at the, uh, of the at the qualifications provider, NCFE, which is running the course, said sexual health education should play a part in the curriculum for all young people. Of course she will. That's her job, isn't it? The latest figures show teenage pregnancy rates are falling, but not falling at a fast enough rate to meet government targets. Meanwhile, annual diagnoses for sexually transmitted diseases are already in the hundreds of thousands and increasing all the time. Well, that's what you get when you get nothing but music television and you get youngsters trying to act like prostitutes and copy the dancers, literally. Some parents think that's cute. It tells you how sick their parents are, because you see, their heads were worked on too during their lifetime. It's just part of the way to tackle these issues is through education, that's the very thing that brought it on. And the qualification offers a formal way to assess and certificate learners to help ensure the right messages are being delivered and understood. <laughs> It says NCFE, which used to stand for Northern Council for Further Education, formally launched the Level 1 Award in Sexual Health Awareness this week following official accreditation by OFQAL, the exam's regulator. Level 1 examinations are equivalent to low-level GCSE graded D to G. The course, which is aimed towards students who are not yet ready to to take full GCSEs and take just nine hours to teach, ask pupils to give the names of male and female sexual organs, I guess it's all the slang for it too. Describe two examples of risky sexual behavior 
and outline two methods of contraception that would be suitable for a young person. So they've already decided what's suitable for a young person. Uh, I mean, I read an article not too long ago where there was a teacher that literally helped them have sex in the classroom. So students who will be encouraged to take the course between the age of 14 and 16 are taught about the age at which someone can access sexual health services without parental consent. Another question asks pupils to outline two things. It's important to remember when using a condom. Uh, I guess it's don't buy from China. That's my little joke. And list two places where emergency contraception, such as the morning after pill, may be obtained for abortion, you see. A further section focuses on HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. Pupils are asked how HIV can be transmitted and to outline one possible consequence of not having chlamydia treated. Uh, Norman Wells from the Family Education Trust said, in spite of his name, this new qualification is more about promoting sexual experimentation and the use of contraception by children than it is about promoting sexual health. Well, absolutely, uh, because it was, a, it was a con from the beginning, sexual education. Yet they went to the socialist literature to find it all out. They were explicit about their agenda. It says here, the only sure way of avoiding sexually transmitted infections is to keep sexual intimacy within a faithful, long-time relationship. Yet this course makes no mention of marriage or of commitment and faithfulness. Well, of course, I've just explained that. That's the socialist agenda. That is the world agenda for the general masses. That's also what Julian Huxley said, the first CEO of UNESCO. He was also a champion of Planned Parenthood and abortion on demand. He got awards from them. But he said they could rut like, like, like rabbits, he said, the children. When they got through with their indoctrination, they could rut basically in the fields, whatever. He says as long as they didn't have children, that was okay, that was fine. That's what they wanted them to do. Because the more mates that they have for a night or whatever, the less chance they'll bond with any particular one down the road. A spokesman for the Department of Education said, there's hundreds of qualifications that are accredited by Ofqual for a plethora of different ages, abilities and settings. We rightly trust heads to choose what is best for their pupils. Well, the heads are all headmasters because they've gone along with the entire curriculum for everything from UNESCO, again, United Nations. Since most students already receive sex education at secondary school, although Labour dropped plans to make lessons compulsory in primaries earlier this year as part of the parliamentary wash-up before the general election, actually they're, they're going ahead anyway because it was part of the United Nations Treaty they signed. I read that thing earlier this year. That's going to go a lot further than that. Believe me, you are already in Brave New World. For those who haven't seen the movies, get a copy. There's different versions of them all along the same path. But we're already there. And that was written, the book was written in 1933. We are there now. Now, New Zealand, again, no country is being left alone out of this big, wonderful New World Order. And they didn't have enough terrorism and so on to take all the rights away from the public over there. So this is what's coming up. You see, New Zealand government uses earthquake to enact sweeping new powers. The 13th of October, New Zealand's parliament voted unanimously last month to pass the Canterbury Earthquake Response and Recovery Act, which gives government ministers the power to override almost any law in the country's statute books. The Conservative National Party government pushed through the legislation in a single evening with the full support of the Maori Party, the Opposition Labour Party and the Green Party. 
Both the government and opposition asserted that the sweeping powers were needed to provide assistance to the city of Christchurch and the surrounding Canterbury region, which was hit by a destructive 7.1 magnitude earthquake on September the 4th. But the Act does not provide any additional funding or assistance for the disaster victims, many of whom are living in badly damaged houses and have received little or no government assistance. Rather, this anti-democratic legislation concentrates wide powers in the hands of ministers, that's politicians, and their unelected advisers. It sidelines Parliament and effectively rules out public debate on measures that potentially have far-reaching consequences. The provisions of the CERA, a C-E-R-R-A, will remain in place until April 2012. For the next 18 months, as one columns for the National Business Review put it, a few ministers, so long as they can link to the Canterbury earthquake, can make laws about almost everything by sending a piece of paper. Says the, the government is using the disaster as an opportunity to test anti-democratic forms of rule, which could later be applied more broadly. It's already carrying out a savage uh, program of austerity, including cuts to health care and education, attacks on welfare beneficiaries, and an increase in the consumption tax, forcing the working class to pay for the global economic crisis. Again, that's a sharing of wealth, you see. We've all signed the treaty under the United Nations to share the wealth, you see. It has also introduced uh, draconian labor laws to drive down wages and make businesses more profitable and globally competitive. How can you compete with China? Hmm? The ruling elite in New Zealand, as in every other country, is acutely aware that as it deepens these attacks, it must prepare to confront resistance from workers. And it's, uh, it's ironic because uh, this was put out by the World Socialist website, who would be do just the same if they were in power. <laughs> Ah, dear. It takes two sides to tango, eh? And then, of course, too, we have this wonderful article here. I'm sure it will just warm your hearts because we're all worried about the bankers who lost their shirts, apparently, and had to get bailed out by the taxpayers who will be in debt forever because all that money was borrowed from other bankers, strangely enough, to pay those bankers who lost it all. Here it is. It's Thursday, the 14th of October. Mail online. Greedier than ever, Wall Street bankers to pocket a record-breaking $91 billion just two years on from the financial crisis. Wall Street firms will hand out $91 billion in salaries, bonuses, and perks, according to research published today. The payout's 4% up on last year and 24% up on 2006, come just two years after the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the near meltdown of the financial system. A pay report by America's Wall Street Journal shows that 26 of the U.S.'s financial centers leading 35 firms are planning to increase pay this year, even though one in 10 Americans is jobless and a second recession is possible. Well, it's definitely coming. It says, who wants some? Traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange are likely to see their pay and bonuses climb to record levels. This is the Bonanza is likely to infuriate President Barack Obama. Oh, come on, come on. He's one of the boys. Look who's back. Look, look who's all behind him there. He's just a front man for who? We all know. It says, so President Barack Obama and U.S. taxpayers who've bailed out the banking industry with billions of dollars in gifts, I add. Gifts. Take these grants just to help you along. Don't bother paying it back, folks. It could also escalate to the bonus arms race in the city of London where pay is closely tied to awards on Wall Street. Well, I'm waiting to see what London will dish out. London is better at it, though. They know when to keep quiet about things and hush it up and so on, uh, as these guys with the treble chins 
and the pot bellies walk out of those big offices there into their massive limos to be driven off by the chauffeurs. That's the real world we're living in. And the public say nothing. Why? Because they don't know what to do about it. That's a couple. Well, what do you do about it? You should be on the darn streets is what you should be doing about it. Because if you don't get on the streets now, well, you've got a chance to do what you have to do and tell them where to go with this BS that are pushing down on you with more taxes to come and all the rest of it into utter poverty. When you start rioting, when you're in poverty, you know you're going to be getting taken care of very efficiently by all the military forces that prepared for the eventuality of such a thing. So do it when you're healthy and while you can still feed yourself and you're not starving and you're thinking clearly and protest and protest and tell them no more, no more of this nonsense, no more of this system. Because if, if government does not represent the public, who do they represent? And if it's not you, you shouldn't be serving them. Because see, you're serving the public, not the, not, not the government. Uh, you're serving the government, not the government serving you. How easy it is to have it trained out of you, isn't it? How easy it is to have trained out of you through entertaining movies and TV series and all the rest of it with little quotes that are given over and over, repetition, repetition, until you start to think that government is all-powerful and it's bigger than you. You know what government is? It's someone's idea. That's what government is. It's an idea. And it can only go along with anything with your permission. Even when they pass the laws which persecute you, you have to acquiesce to allow them to do it. By saying nothing. That's how you acquiesce. In law, you say nothing. That means what well, we told them legally and they didn't say a darn thing. So now we're, we're doing what we want. We know the agenda. Those who listen to this show certainly do know the agenda. And you know where it's to go with the agenda. And down to food rationing and all the rest of it. And cramming the public into the already overcrowded old cities up until the 2030-odd period where they start to die off massively, according to the think tanks for the military. And then out of it will come their big, wonderful utopias, and no doubt they'll just demolish the old cities. The old cities. That's why they haven't been repairing them for the last 20 years. That's why you got potholes for the last 20, 25 years. Because it's a very old plan. Very old plan. But they've got money to throw across the planet. Your own local governments are giving money across the planet, have been for years to other countries, to help these people here and help these people there. Is that what they're there for? No. I don't think so. I haven't seen that put in stone anywhere. But it's up to you. It's up to you what you will tolerate. You've watched the creation of a police state. You've watched the the setting up of a police state long before 9-11. And here you are in it with guys out the military chomping at the bit, drugged up as they are with prescription drugs and non-prescription drugs, waiting to go. So you should be protesting like crazy now by the millions, 
by the millions to throw this off course. If you don't, then you don't stand a chance in hell. Once the chaos starts and you're begging for food from the very abusers, the government, who made it all happen. And the abused victim always turns to the abuser for help. That's what time that was put an end to. Now, there's an elderly woman who was one of the top reporters, that one of the long, most long-lived reporters in America, who was in the papers, I think, last, oh, earlier this year anyway. I read an article at the time. But she's given another interview for Press TV. And it was all because she just mentioned Israel in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that was the end of her very long uh, career in political journalism. And it says here, the former White House reporter Helen Thomas uh, criticized the United States for not allowing people to talk about Israel policies against the Palestinian people. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, I say this veteran reporter Helen Thomas, incredible, she was in her 90s, um, she said this, um, you cannot criticize Israel in this country and survive. Helen Thomas said in an interview with Ohio station WMRN AM that aired on Tuesday. In June, Thomas had been forced to resign after she told Israelis to leave the occupied Palestinian territories. During the, her- the Jewish heritage celebration at the White House, a bad place to bring it up, eh? Thomas said, tell the Israelis to get the hell out of Palestine. In her new interview, she said the comments were exactly what I thought, even though she realized soon afterwards that it was the end of her job. It was very hard for the first two weeks. After that, I came out of my coma, she said. The 90-year-old correspondent gave up her front-row seat in the White House press room, where she had often pointed uh, questions at 10 presidents, going back all the way to Dwight Eisenhower. Thomas worked as a correspondent for U.S. Uh, United Press International for 57 years, from 43 to 2000. She then joined Hearst Newspapers Corporation, who owned 15 dailies, as a columnist. She was the first female officer of the National Press Club, the first female member and president of the White House Correspondent Association. Thomas has been a fixture at White House pre- press conferences for decades and was often allowed to ask the first question. But she has said the wrong thing. <laughs> that, that was it. She says she can't criticize Israel in this country and survive. And that's true. There's too powerful, too much money behind the lobby in the U.S. and everywhere else for that matter. And uh, there's no such thing as, I said, toleration amongst peoples uh, when it comes to criticizing certain groups. You just can't do it. That's what I'm saying in this liberal system and society we live in. Uh, the liberals are great for tolerance, 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 but they're the most intolerant of all when it comes to people having an opinion or even asking a question. And that's the con of them, the big lie of them. I was going to touch on two, about another court case in Canada, Alberta it was, um, where another eugenics uh, sterilization victim has sued the government. That's the second one so far for being sterilized back, I think, in the 70s. It was still going on in the 70s 
It was a wrongful sterilization. They just deemed her incompetent, unfit, etc. And uh, and she seems quite naturally, uh, quite a decent IQ and all the rest of it. No problem with her work record, but she was sterilized nonetheless. Forcible sterilization by law. And that is what they want to bring back, folks. That's what they want to bring back. That. What, what do you think is behind, oh, there's too many people on the planet? What they mean is there's too many of the wrong sort of people on the planet. And one U.S. High Court judge actually said that. I've read her quotes before. And we're all silent, aren't we? All silent about it. They can't mean me. I mean too much to me for it happened to me. That's what we think, isn't it? And yet, what was it again that Delgado said, the FBI CIA guy who was sticking wires in folks' brains years ago, uh, using remote controls, etc. I thought it was wonderful. They were doing that in Tavistock in England too, according to Aldous Huxley, who thought that was wonderful as well back in the 50s. He says, we need a program of psychosurgery for political control of our society. The purpose is physical control of the mind. Everyone who deviates from the given norm can be surgically mutilated. The individual may think that the most important reality is his own existence, but this is only his personal point of view. Man does not have the right to develop his own mind. We must electronically control the brain. Some days armies and generals will be controlled by electronic stimulation of the brain by Delgado, Director of Neuropsychiatry at Yale University Medical School, 1974. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you. <laughs>